Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do this without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to start by saying thank you to all of them. First, to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thank you to all of our great sponsors. Welcome to another session of the Educational AD. Welcome everyone to the Educational AD podcast. We're very excited today. Our guest is Andy Warner. Andy's the director of Warner Soccer in Tallahassee, Florida. And he's also an award-winning and, most recently, Hall of Fame soccer coach. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Andy, um, we always like to start off with letting our listeners get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school. Well, uh, I was born in Lancaster, England, uh, northern town, uh, right down the Irish Sea, uh, uh, historical town, uh, community orientated. Uh, went to uh, the Castle Secondary School. Uh, sport was a big part of our life, uh, as you can imagine, in Britain. And um, played sport my whole life growing up there. Uh, uh, however, influenced uh, my mother, uh, unlike other mothers, uh, was convinced that education was going to be the the uh, way forward for me. Um, I grew up at a time, Jake, which would be hard for listeners, but um, if you did not get on the college track in Britain, you would leave school at 15. So uh, uh, most of the players that I played with and students uh, had this desire to become a professional soccer player at 15 and all left school. Um, my mother said that was a non-starter and she focused on me staying in school. And fortunately for me, I stayed at school, played soccer, played competitive soccer, uh, representative soccer, but ended up staying at school and uh, getting a degree. And uh, went to a school at Edgehill College, PE trained in uh, Liverpool, England. And uh, great uh, education school, uh, taught uh, physical education only, specialized school. And uh, learned that uh, education and uh, physical education was an important part of the curriculum in Britain. Uh, was very fortunate to, uh, in playing days, uh, got invited to come on tour to Blackpool, with Blackpool coming to uh, United States of America. That was in 77, 1977. And um, uh, came over and we played uh, all the Midwest universities, Western Illinois University, SIU Edwardsville, Quincy College. And uh, uh, all my teammates for three weeks thought it was just a great time to be in America. And uh, I saw it another way. I met a gentleman called John McKenzie. He was the soccer coach at Western. And he uh, was a tremendous host. 
but he showed me what was going on within the American university system. And I actually was very uh, spellbound by what I saw and the opportunities I saw. And I kept in contact with John and uh, uh, went back to England, uh, finished my degree. Um, I managed to uh, stay at college, play competitive soccer with Morecambe. Um, my soccer coach, uh, ironically, because of the cultural aspect of education in Britain, did not know that I was going to college. That was a no-no playing soccer in England. But um, I uh, was very fortunate. John McKenzie called me one day and said, um, we have an opportunity at Western Law University. Um, would you be interested in coming to do, take a new program in sports administration? Western was one of three universities at the time, Ohio University, Ohio State, and Western were starting a sports admin program. Didn't understand what it was, but what was appealing to me was it was uh, uh, an opportunity to come and work and live in the United States. So I took that opportunity and became an assistant coach at the Division One school. It was a wonderful experience. Um, ended up, uh, through that experience, uh, with John telling me to get an internship and ended up getting an internship with the Tampa Bay Rowdies Soccer Club. And that was my foray into the world of soccer in the United States. Incredible experience, surrounded by incredible people. And uh, uh, I ended up um, getting my master's degree, could not get a visa to stay in the country uh, because playing wise, the Rowdies were not going to spend money on a visa for me. And uh, so I went back to England, uh, started to teach and coach. And very fortunately, um, John McKenzie called back and said that they were, the school was pressed. Uh, would you come back to be a faculty assistant? And would you do a postmaster's degree in educational leadership? Uh, again, another fantastic opportunity. Um, and uh, it was that choice, again, of, of uh, my education or signing with Wrexham Football Club as Division One club at the time. Again, talking with my mother, who was the visionary in our family, um, I opted to come to the United States and kind of that... That was phase one, and that was the big decision. Well, again, you kind of uh, hit on it. Um, you were following two tracks. You were on that professional athlete track and being quite successful. And at the same time, you had your uh, college degree and, and aspirations in that area. So well played. Um, when you got back to the United States that second time, uh, I know your career took a couple different uh, paths. Uh, why don't you go and elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I tell you, I mean, you know, looking at the times we're in today, uh, people may not know this, but, but in, the, in the early 1980s, we were going through, the United States was going through a, a big dip economically. And um, the Educational Administration Leadership Program was in was a tremendous program because uh, and it was a pioneer program because a lot of the classes were, were actual uh, in-school projects. So doing the leadership, we were going into school systems and, and evaluating school systems. And at the time, we were looking at a school system in Peoria, Illinois. And what was interesting was that we were having an economical downturn and, and people who know about Midwest, but in Peoria, um, two of the biggest uh, employers were Caterpillar. <laughs> uh, and uh, what was happening, of course, with the downturn, uh, people were being laid off. And what we find out is as people were laid off and uh, an econ economy gets bad, the one thing that suffers immediately is education. And I remember being part of, uh, of a series of programs of uh, 
of uh, evaluating cutbacks for programs and how do we identify the, the, the ongoing programs and how do we make recommendations. And I remember being part of a, a one-year study to try and make these recommendations. And when it was all said and done, I think the thing that kind of geared me away from educational administration was all the thousands of hours of work put in. Eventually, the politicians came in and said, well, here's how we're going to deal with it. We're going to close schools and we're going to uh, 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 lay off teachers, which is what they did. And so I, I was coaching at the time and had opportunities. And through my internships, uh, uh, what had happened, I was very fortunate, um, I applied for two college jobs, was accepted on two jobs, and what I found with the job opportunities was that they were very insular and there was no vision. It was, here's the position, it's a maintenance position, and as one uh, administrator told me, there's only two things you need to know, is that don't exceed your budget and don't embarrass the school. <laughs> I thought I thought as guidelines that was somewhat limiting. So I so you so my so the, so the listeners to this, uh, I didn't accept those positions. I thought I was too narrow. But I ended up getting a, a call from um, Gordon Hill, who was the guy who gave me my internship, and uh, he had just been hired by a British company called Umbro. And Umbro was a leading uh, sporting manufacturer worldwide, very famous, and they were starting a. Uh, company uh, in the United States. We were bought by Stone Manufacturing, an American company, and they wanted a, an interesting uh, grassroots marketing campaign to promote not only the sport, but to pr promote the product and to educate. And so they formed a soccer education division. Really interesting concept back in the day. Uh, there was no professional athletes to market the products as, as other standard sports were doing that. So we developed, and my coordinating job nationally was to develop a grassroots program with um, uh, local retailers, local uh, uh, representatives and soccer clubs and actually develop an education format to educate uh, parents, educate coaches, educate retailers about soccer. But of course, the, more, the most important messaging is why, why Umbro would be the brand that gets you to where you need to go. But it was an incredible experience, travel around the country, uh, made hundreds and hundreds of appearances. But the thing that, that, that got me excited was with, without the school involvement, without facilities, without uh, a, a vision, uh, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't promote your program. And back in those days, as you know, uh, trying to get any airtime for the sport of soccer was very difficult. But that's kind of the second phase, and I uh, had three great years there at uh, Umbro. But um, I met my wife, Lisa, at university. She is a, a, a sports administrator herself. We moved to Greenville, South Carolina uh, in the early 80s. It was not the city it is today. It was a growing concern. She was not enamored by me being on the road. And um, we ended up moving to Florida, where uh, a gentleman called Mr. Colin Phipps, who was a... Uh, uh, a visionary. That's all I will say about Colin, an incredible man, um, uh, born into a, a very famous family, Phipps family, uh, and uh, he uh, owned a lot of land, a lot of development, but he uh, he had a vision for soccer. He wanted to develop soccer. And when I met the guy, we spoke for about five hours, and he just had this vision that we've got to create facilities, we've got to develop uh, educational platforms if we're going to promote the sport. He was about 30 years ahead of his time. And uh, I remember going coming to work with him as a CEO and going around communities saying that, that this gentleman wants to do a public-private partnership. He wants to uh, give you money. 
And I remember going into many municipalities and many areas and people like, what, what, what's, what's the deal with this guy? Why, why does somebody want to give money? Because in, in those days, in sports, that was a, just not an accepted way approach. So, uh, so you know, I, I worked for Colin for five and a half years. We bought professional soccer teams. We developed different aspects of what was going on. And then, like most sports teams, um, we want to move to a bigger city, to Orlando. We bought the Orlando Lions uh, professional soccer team. And uh, it was one of those uh, seminal moments for me where I looked at where my future was going to be. And uh, I hadn't chosen the professional path in Britain. I'd been involved in the professional game over here. And uh, again, I decided that wasn't for me. And uh, Colin gave me an opportunity to start an education company in Tallahassee, Florida, access to facilities, and uh, said, uh, here's your opportunity, take it. And that's when I formed Warner Stocker. And uh, we've been in business for 30 years. Well, that brings us to, you know, what I really want to talk about. You know, you have, you know, probably the premier uh, soccer organization, you know, in the state of Florida, and you have also managed to be highly successful in a school-based program, which, you know, unfortunately is not always the case. You know, it seems like, you know, a coach either does school or does club, if you will, and you've managed to be incredibly successful in both. And as the athletic director at McClay, you know, I've had the, the privilege of working with you these past four years. So talk a little bit about your development of Warner Soccer uh, and, and, you know, how that started, how it got going. And I know that's a showing of itself. And then sure. also how you got um, involved with McClay so many years ago and why you're still involved, you know, with McClay in a school-based program. Uh, can you do that for our listeners? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll put it, I'll, I'll make it simple in the sense that to me, it all boils down to these guiding principles. And the guiding principles are the impact starting with my, with my mom and the idea that education is important, um, that growing up uh, create a set of values that uh, respect is absolutely tantamount to your success, treat people the correct way, treat people the right way, respect your elders, uh, do things the right way. We were brought up in, in a very poor area in Lancaster, England. We, we lived in uh, public housing. We went to a public school. But I will tell you, Jake, in, in hindsight, we thought we had everything. We, we, had, we had a school that cared. We had teachers. It was a safe environment. We had our school meals provided for. We had uh, the boys and girls, the boys club, particularly for me. And, and so, therefore, when I, when I came to Tallahassee, what, what I noticed was that uh, there was a lot of people with a lot of ideas. And rather than me coming in and saying, look, this is my background, here's what I'm recommending, the first order of business was to truly get a lay of the land, to, to do some listening, to go and talk to stakeholders, to, to see actually not what was out there, but what was in people's minds. And so I spent probably three months uh, meeting lunches and everything with people involved in the sport itself. And what I found out was that all the people that had been involved in, in soccer had, all, had never played the game. They all played other sports, like yourself. And what I also realized was that, that sports people have a commonality. They have a passion for their sport. And when you see a passion and you work with people who have a passion and have a vision, um, you know that things can get done. But what I also found out that when I moved to McClay was that McClay is a great institution, but uh, like everything else, you have limited resources. 
And if you're not careful, if you don't kind of get in on the, the planning side of it, uh, if you're not careful, you get into a kind of a, a battle or a fight for those resources. So I, I looked at the school setting at McClare as I did with starting Warner Soccer, and there's a resource issue. Well, what do schools have? They've got access to usually good facilities, uh, you know, opportunities to, to schedule, opportunities to, to, to get community involvement, parent involvement. So I said, okay, I'm going to come up with a three-point plan. The first thing is you have to secure facilities. Without facilities, you can't build a program. And what that means is either you've got to have your own facilities or you've got to build an alliance like I did with the city of Tallahassee uh, or we built an alliance with McLean. And what we did was to say, okay, here are our facilities. Here's what our short-term needs are. But let's, let's sit down with the stakeholders and where do we want to be in five years? Where do we need to be 10 years? Because if we're going to start raising money or we're going to start investing and building, we've got to get a clear idea of, of our capabilities. And one thing I've seen in the sport of soccer in my, in my time is what has really submarined a lot of programs is that they get people excited, they grow, but they grow out of facilities, they grow out of their ability to provide coaches, they, they grow out of the ability to service to with officials. And in the, in the school setting, what I found was that in talking to sports, everybody was working hard raising money for their own programs. But ultimately, we were missing the big picture of, well, how can we share resources? How can we look at common facilities that can benefit everybody involved? And how can we be efficient by, by if somebody's already got a great fundraiser in the school and it's working, why don't we piggyback on that and why don't we pool our resources? And that's probably one of the most successful things that I, I saw being at McClay School was our ability of, of, of the shared vision and, and developing a total sports program. And therefore, you look at the facilities, you look at your, your, your staffing, and, and, and you know, we've got some outstanding coaches who, who are not necessarily soccer being their primary sport, but because of outstanding coaches and they understand the student-athletes' needs, we brought them into our soccer program. They've had a background in it. It's not their primary sport, but they do a great job with our, our middle school program and our JV program. So I think resource uh, uh, allocation, identifying what you have, is, is in particularly in today's uh, world, I think is critical to the future. I really do. You know, again, you've uh, had a, a very long, successful career. I think you're just maybe getting started. You've got a few more good years left in you. As an administrator, and again, you're a coach at McClay, but you direct our soccer program. Uh, but as the CEO, basically, of, of Warner Soccer, you're definitely an athletic administrator. You're dealing on a, a very large level with teams and coaches and schedules and officials and parents, et cetera, budgets. Um, how has your job as an administrator changed uh, in the past, you know, let, let's just narrow it down, maybe the last 10 years uh, compared to um, what you're doing today as an administrator? How has the job changed? It's a great question. And I, and I would say one of, the, one of the most difficult aspects, I think, of being an administrator, and it's something that I learned very early on because I had great people to guide me and, and Western Noise um, educational leadership program and sports admin program was an outstanding program. Some great people have come through the program. But the thing the thing that was real critical was a self-analysis of your own strengths and skills as an administrator. 
And what I, I took several tests and I went to several leadership schools and I went to the University of Michigan to do a sports marketing program with the great Don Canham and, 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 and I, I got all this, this, this knowledge. And one of the things I, I listened to, to some of these folks is find out what your strengths are. And when you build a program, focus on you, on your strengths, and then look at those areas of where you don't have strengths or you don't have time or you don't have the passion and bring in great people. And we all talk about great people. It was very clear from the outset for me, um, the way my brain works and the way I brought up with my attention, my passion for it, that I, I'm a, a strategic thinker. I like to think ahead. Where, where can we be in five years? How can we bring this person together? My day-to-day -day desire to be in front of a computer or being able to follow through was never one of my strong skills. So clearly for me, um, what was important was to, to bring in people who have those skill sets, uh, the eye for detail, the follow through, the day-to-day -day communication with the rank and file parents. Um, you know, and so from, a, from that perspective, more so ever today, particularly the pandemic that we're dealing with right now, it's developing a plan of action with the right people to communicate. You cannot over-communicate in today's world. And I also think it's important that it's important that any aspect of your program regarding student-athlete that's important that we need to get the good news out. I think it's absolutely critical to put your best foot forward because uh, there's so much uh, negativity, there's so much... Uh, disillusionment right now, I think, that, that this concept of, you know, where do you stand or what position you're, you, sports is the one area where, you know, and I like to say this, and you've heard me say this before, the great thing about sports in America is rivalries. And I think what's critical is that to develop a healthy rivalry, to develop uh, a competitive stance towards a program and to compete on a field but professionally to respect one another off the field, I think it's got to be the way forward for us. I, I, I really think that professional alliances with athletic directors, with sports coaches, it's got to be the future. If we want the sports to continue to be at the forefront, we've got to get people all on the same page. We don't always agree on the refereeing, we don't, but we've got to understand that without these ingredients and without these elements, our, our, our sports and our future is going to be severely uh, limited. And, I, and I, I feel that very strongly. You mentioned um, leadership uh, multiple times, you know, the influence of your mother, uh, certain coaches. Um, who are a couple other mentors for you that have had uh, a big impact on your career? Well, John, John McKenzie, the head coach of West Illinois, he's from Massachusetts, um, and he was best man at wedding. That's how much I thought of the, the, the man. He um, was a straightforward, direct uh, uh, sports man, the, the, the ultimate. He loved all sports. He got involved in sport of soccer when it wasn't fashionable. But what he was able to do in a 35-year career was fashion relationships and, and fashion uh, a sports program that brought the best out of people. And John always used to say to me, you know, Andy, you know, at the end of the day, you play hard, you compete hard. He was just such a hard competitor, but you, you build relationships. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, some of the best, best memories you have are the people who are the toughest, hardest-nosed hard opponents. But, but at the end of the day, build rivalries, build something that has meaning. 
And and I never forgot that. And then, of course, you know, he also gave me the, the, the smartest advice, which was, uh, if you make one good decision in life, marry the right person. So I, I, I listened to him. So, uh, but John John was just a great pioneer back in the day. And, and, and the respect, we had a 30-year reunion. And to tell you, if you want to know how uh, respectful, uh, there was literally hundreds of uh, student athletes came back to see him. It was a great day. You've talked to, you mentioned COVID a couple times. It's kind of the gorilla in the room. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it uh, nationwide. There's a, dozens of different responses here in the state of Florida. You know, there's multiple uh, responses. So this next question is just uh, laser focused on, you know, Tallahassee and, and Warner soccer. What are you doing with your organization, your teams, your kids, your coaches, your parents uh, currently with uh, regards to COVID? So, so as soon as as soon as it hit, we had a couple of folks within our organisation that, in their real jobs outside of coaching, work in the federal establishment um, for these crises. And so the first thing we did, we took we took a, a step out of the Clare booklet as well. Is we went to the local authorities with people we knew and said, okay, you know, ultimately, what 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 are what are the recommendations? What 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 do we need to be doing? And we kind of came up with a list of uh, bullet points in terms of our expectations and our approach. And we followed um, not only the governor's guidelines, obviously the school board here in Tallahassee, we looked at what their guidelines were going to be. We looked at the two national bodies in the soccer world to their guidelines. And what we found was that I think everybody was on the same page, but everybody was having a different approach. Some people had a three-phased in program, other people had a four-phased in program. My my reality was ultimately, what is there a safe way for us to still participate, um, socially distant, that that uh, is makes sense for not only for the people that we're participating with, but for ourselves and and for the people that work with us. And so we came up with a very, very cautious three-phase program, and we're still in phase two. We, the governor has not come in with phase three, so we keep it socially distant. We're doing technical work only, small groups, cohorts of six or eight players. Um, we're doing the, the tracing elements, so we know what the group is. We know what the contact information is. So we're doing all of those things. Um, we've had seminars, online training, We've brought people in, um, so we feel that we've we've had a good approach, and the response has been very, very good to us. Um, however, my frustration today is uh, dealing with other soccer organisations that I have a lot of time with, and they tell me, "Oh, we we've been playing competitive soccer. We're starting eleven v eleven right now," and, and I asked them the rationale, and some of the rationale is, "Well, one of the big clubs down down uh, the road here, they've been doing it." So if it's okay for them, we're going to do it. And I think that's the danger of, of this, is that ultimately you're either going to follow the recommendations to the letter and you're going to wait for it and be patient for wait for it because if it continues to develop at the level I believe is developing, I can only see one rationale. It'll be a complete shutdown again. And, and I, I certainly, for one, we, we're, we're, we're positioning ourselves right now um, to 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 you know talk about league play and we've gone through it but we were on a Zoom call yesterday in our league and we've we've all agreed until we're categor categorically cleared by state associations 
governors until the, all the checklists and the boxes are marked. We're not even contemplating walking on a soccer field to play a comp competitive soccer game. Um, it just makes no rhyme or reason. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, just even the rest of this uh, month uh, before we get back to, to August and supposedly the start of fall sports. Uh, we're almost done. You know, you and I have both coached for a long time. Uh, you know, we've uh, shared that sideline. There's an old saying that uh, talking about parents, talking about fans, uh, everybody wants uh, our job on Friday night, on game night, uh, but they don't want it on Saturday. They don't want it during the week. They certainly don't want it during the off offseason. Um, what are some favorite parts of your job, either from a, an administrative or from a, a coaching standpoint? What, uh, what really gets you excited? Well, what gets me excited is physically coaching on the field. You know, you ask me what motivates me. I mean, I mean, if the more the more time I can be on a field or interacting, the better. The less time in an office, the better. That's I tell people all the time, and I tell I I I, I, the, 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 I take real pride in telling people that if I travel for two weeks and I leave the office, the office thrives, <laughs> and I say that in a positive way because because people don't miss a beat. Professional people don't miss a beat. So I am happy with that. Um, I, I also say this, and, and to everybody, um, to get involved in teaching, in administration, in schools, it's a passion. And, and ultimately, you can't hide that passion. You either enjoy the moment. I also learned that, uh, and again, this comes back from my family days, is that I don't overly get too excited and I don't overly get too low. Uh, we've had some great moments, some great state championships, the higher the high, and we've lost in state championships. But at the end of the day, you look at it and we're all better for the experience. And it's the experience ultimately that I try and focus on is that winning and losing is part of life. The experience and the people and the relationships that they build, that's what lasts for, forever. And, and so to me, that's what keeps going. It's the new, it's the new group of students that are coming in this year. Um, it's the expectations now, the nervousness of those incoming freshmen. They've got big shoes to fill. We've got a program that works. We uh, we want you to come in. It is your program. Uh, you can take this program. And, I, and one of the things I learned from you, amongst many things, was that this is your program and you can take this program where you want. Um, and it's already in the right direction. So, you know, as we like to say, uh, if it's not broken, don't screw it up, right? So, uh, but we, we keep fundamental principles and core beliefs, to me, is the strength of our program. And if I, as a leader, I, 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 I want to empower people to be able to add to the program, okay? I want people to add to the program and give some of the program. Um, and, and be proud, because I think at the end of the day, we talk about this word pride, but ultimately, when you get associated in a program and you build a program, that, that's ultimately, it's the self-evaluation uh, 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 and it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the feeling of achieving something that you can be proud of. And uh, that's, at the end of the day, that's what keeps me going, I can tell you that. You're so right. You mentioned the word program. You know, of all the things that you do so well for our students at McClay, you know, that sticks out for me. Is And it's not something that you just snapped your fingers and it happened. You've built this over the years. Is this sense of program? You know, you coach our boys varsity team, but you're also, you know, the director of soccer. And so the girls program, they get the, 
the same fields, the same quality of coaches, you know, with Paul Dixon and his staff. Uh, you have helped develop the JV program for both boys and girls where those kids get to develop skills, play games, uh, and earn their spot if it's there on the varsity. And our um, wildly successful middle school program, multiple teams, quality coaches. Uh, it truly is a program. You know, those appearances in the state championship games these last many years, uh, they don't happen by accident. It's very much the result of a design that you put into place. So uh, uh, we've kind of come to the end, and we always like to wrap up with what I call the athletic director's toolbox. So as an administrator, I'm going to ask you this question. You're going to create a toolbox to give to a brand new athletic director, and you can only put three things in that toolbox. Uh, what three things are going to go in Coach Warner's toolbox? Well, I, I think I think you have a clear idea of, of your values. I think you need to know where you're coming from as a person and that the, the kind of uh, environment that you want to create because that will have a massive impact on the kind of people that you interface with and you hire, and particularly sports coaches. I think it's absolutely critical in building relationships. You know, I've had a wonderful relationship with you from day one, and I've got on with everybody because we collectively looked at each each philosophy. We've listened to one another, and we've added on to it. So, so I think having a clear uh, sense of value and direction is, is important. Number two, I think you've got to structurally understand uh, the makeup of your program. So you've got to be, I think, a very good listener <laughs> in athletic direct. I, I really do, uh, because a lot of people have got a lot of advice. So somehow you've got to build a program that allows you to listen in a limited period of time, filter through it, and uh, and then, you know, clearly indicate to people that, uh, hey, you know, we have an open-door policy, uh, and and part of our growth is, is listening to the stakeholders in the program. And then I think the third tool uh, is consistency. If you're going to put a guideline out, you're going to put a rule out, uh, it is clear from day one that rule is for everybody. And because I think the biggest thing I've seen in, in my world of soccer, professionally different levels, is that we want to make exceptions. And let's face it, every kid is special, so every parent thinks that there should be an exception. And I've learned through dealing with thousands of thousands of students all over the world, the consistency. And if something is, is so far off and more and more people come to you and say, hey, I have a problem with this rule or I have a problem with this guideline, whatever, ultimately, if there's enough people come to you, you may want to review the rule. But when you adopt a rule, and again, the more rules you have, the more potential rules you're going to have broken, and which, which seems to be a, a systematic problem in, in, in uh, sports, the more rules you have. But clearly, stick, stick by your, the, that, that moral compass you have but understand that uh, change, changing rules for one person is going to come back and bite you. Well, uh, I'm hoping that uh, our listeners are taking all this to heart. Uh, you know, I know for a fact what a great uh, you know leader you are and what you've done for our school and our kids, and uh, you know, hopefully you'll continue to do that for, uh, for many years. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Coach Warner, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you, Jake, and uh, good luck. Okay. Uh, tune in again uh, for uh, another new episode of the Educational AD. 
please uh, like and share and follow and do all those great things. And uh, until the next time, this is the Educational AD. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Educational AD Podcast. I want to remind you that the Zoom recording of this interview is also available on YouTube on the Educational AD channel. Thanks again for listening.